and really uh, just things to, to be intentional about and, and to move forward in. Um, when I was younger, uh, back in my teens, I had two dreams that I had over and over and over again. These were just the dreams that, uh, these are kind of the frustration dreams. I don't know if you're a, if you're a psychiatrist and you want to meet with me later and explain to me my issues, but I had these two frustration dreams. Uh, one was about school. And, and I think we've all had this dream before, probably. Um, I, I would have this dream pretty regularly every school year towards the end of the school year. And the dream goes like this. I go to class for my last class, and I find out that there are all sorts of assignments that I was supposed to do that I didn't do, and now it's too late to do them. Or, worse than that even, occasionally I would have that dream where I would find out the last day of the semester that there was a class that I was supposed to be going to that I had never been to. And so now it was time for grades to come out. And fortunately for me, when I got to college, I actually found classes that you didn't have to go to. <clears throat> so, but my other dream, my other frustration dream had to do with baseball. Any baseball players in the room? Yeah, I, I played baseball in high school, and my dream would go like this. I'm in the batter's box. Pitch would come. I would hit the ball, but when it came time to run to first base, I couldn't go anywhere. My legs were moving, but I wasn't going forward. I was like running in place or running in mud, and I knew there was only a matter of time. I had to get to first base before the ball got to first base, and I just couldn't do it. And in my dream, I'm thinking, why can't you run? Why can't you move? And you know, I would have that dream over and over and over again all through baseball season. Uh, it's frustrating when you feel stuck. You know, I, I don't know any of us who would say, my goal for this year is to finish exactly where I am right now. But some of us actually live that way. Some of us live as if the goal is not to lose. And so we protect and we clutch and we cling because we don't want to lose anything. And so what we wind up doing is, is staking a place right here. I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to lose any ground. I'm not going to lose ground, so I can't, I can't really risk going forward. I've got to just protect what I've got. Uh, I believe God wants more for us than that. I believe that God wants all of us to go forward. I was telling the prayer group out there before the service. And, and let me just throw out to you that if you can't come on Tuesday, and but you want to pray, you want to be a part of a corporate prayer group, uh, we pray every Sunday morning at 9.30, uh, just for about 15 minutes, 9.30, 9.45, there in the office, open to everyone. We'd love to have you, so come and do that. But I was telling them that uh, I wanted to talk today about increase, because I really believe that God wants us to go forward, that um, you know, he wants us at the end of the year to be in a better place 
than we are right now. And uh, Mike Andrews is in that group, and he's a doctor. And, uh, you know, that really doesn't work for Mike to say to his patients, when you wake up from this surgery, you'll be in a better place. So you have to be specific about that, right? You can't just say, you know, a general statement, I want you to be in a better place. What, what does that mean, even? You've heard me say before that I believe the economy of the kingdom is increase. Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean that the economy of the kingdom is increased? And, you, and you've heard us say, and we even said last week, that if you are not intentionally increasing, you're unintentionally decreasing. But what does that mean? How do you, how do you walk that out? And what I want to do, I, I really believe that 2019, that the Lord wants 2019 to be a year of increase. I really do. I think God wants it to be a year of increase for you. For you as an individual, I believe that God wants 2019 to be a year of increase. I think he wants it to be a year of increase for your family. I believe that he wants it to be a year of increase for your church family, for Riverstone. I believe that God's desire for all of us is that 2019 would be a year of increase. That when we get to the end of 2019, we would be able to look back and say, we have come forward. We have grown. We have increased. We have gone deeper in the things of the kingdom, we have increased in the things of the spirit. We have increased in faith. You know, what, what does all of that look like? What does it mean to get to the end of the year and say, I'm in a better place now than I was? And so I want to talk about that. I want to try to uh, lead us through that, actually through the course of this whole year. Through the the course of the entire year of 2019, we're going to look at what does it mean to increase. Uh, Because I believe that there are all sorts of places and all sorts of areas, all sorts of things in our life where God can bring increase. Uh, I believe that God wants us to to grow and to increase in our prayer life. And so we'll take a look at that and we'll explore what does it mean? How do you grow in prayer? How do you increase uh, a life of prayer in your life. I believe that God wants us to increase in intimacy with Him. How, how do you do that? How do you increase in intimacy with God? I, I believe that God wants us to grow in faith. How do you even do that? How, how does, how does faith increase in us? How can we grow? How can I, by the end of this year, believe God for more than I believe Him for now? How can about the end of this year, my capacity to believe God for things expand. And we're going to look at that and explore that, explore that because I really believe that there are things that you can give yourself to and things that you can partner with that will cause increase and there are things that you can give yourself to or partner with that will cause decrease. And so we want to learn to partner with the right things. You look at people like George Mueller, who we mentioned before. George Mueller was a man who who learned how to increase in faith. And because of that, as his life progressed, he found it easier and easier to take God at his word and to believe God. We said, Terry reminded us, uh, we, we sang it, we prayed it, Terry reminded us, all of God's promises 
or yes and amen. It's easy to say that. It's easy to sing that. Sometimes it's hard to believe it when things are not going well. There are a couple of things that cause us to pull back and actually bring decrease in our life. One of those is disappointment. Disappointment. The Bible even says hope deferred makes the heart sick. How many of you have a sick heart right now? Because hope has been deferred. There are things that you have believed God for, for a period of time, maybe years, maybe even coming up on decades. You remember last week we said George Mueller had friends that he prayed for for 50 years. What if that was the only? What if he had one person? That he was praying for. And that was the only person he ever prayed for. Was that one person. And it took 50 years. That might be hard. And so disappointment. Or deferred hope. Can cause us to decrease. Because it makes it harder to believe. We, we need encouragement. We need to see things happening. Right? Another thing. That causes us to decrease is fear. A fear of losing. If I step out, maybe I'll lose what I've got. If I lose what I've got, I'll, I'll just stay where I am. Well, in the kingdom of God, there's a thing called risk. You know how you spell risk, right? F-A-I-T-H. Risk is trusting God and believing Him and being willing to go where God says to go. Even though you can't see necessarily what the result is going to be. You have to, you have to risk. Uh, John Wimber said one time that if we want to increase, if we want to go forward, we have to be willing to give up everything that we've gained up to that point. That sounds kind of extreme. That's kind of scary. You mean I've worked hard all my life? I've grown. I've increased. I've you know I have I've I've gained in the things of God to this point, and now you're asking me to put all of that on the table to go to the next place? No, I'm not asking you to. God's asking you to. It's not my fault. I didn't come up with this. This was his idea. So we're going to explore things that can help us to increase. And we're going to explore different areas, different ways to increase. Uh, Today, I want to talk a little bit about increasing in giving. And the reason that I chose that is because actually of the four things that I talked about last week, this was the one I got the most feedback from. So I figured, well, we'll go ahead and get this. We'll address this now and and so we can go forward into some other things. Uh, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And I guess I should clarify that the feedback I got was good feedback. People weren't. We kind of have a tendency to just kind of hang things out there and hope that you understand. It was good feedback. People were curious. People were wanting to to know more and and they they really were were, um, excited about being challenged uh, to give more and to believe God for more. And uh, so we're going to push into that a little bit. So Luke 18, beginning at verse 18. This is a great story. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, that you would speak today, that you uh, would speak into our hearts. Uh, Lord, give us ears to hear. I pray if, uh, if, if I know that there are things that you want to say to your people today. And I, I pray that you would speak through me uh, if possible. If not, I pray you would speak in spite of me. But I pray that everyone today would hear, would hear your voice. And hear your invitation to go forward, not to go backwards. To go forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. So how do I increase in the area of giving? Brennan Manning said, it is natural to feel fear and insecurity when confronted with the radical demands Of the Christian commitment. But enveloped in the lived truths of God's furious love, insecurity is swallowed up in the solidity of agape, and anguish and fear give way to hope and desire. The Christian becomes aware that God's appeal for unlimited generosity from his people has been preceded from his side. By a limitless love, a love so intent upon response that he has empowered us to respond through the gift of his own Holy Spirit. Let me put this simply. What Brendan Manning is saying is that when God says, give everything you have, be generous, be radical. That can be scary until you realize that before God asks to make a withdrawal from your life, he makes a deposit. He has filled you with himself. He has offered everything he has to you, and then he asks you to give it away. He doesn't ask you to give something you don't have. In fact, he gives it to you so that you can give it away. Now, here's the point of giving. We we don't want anyone to give just for giving's sake. We want you to understand the biblical principles of giving. And so today I'm going to talk about three simple points when it comes to giving. How we relate to money. What is our goal for giving, and I'm talking about for you individually, and what can I do today? How do I relate to money? Because that, that's really the starting point, is what is money to you? What kind of power 
does money have in your life? Do you have power over it, or does it have power over you? That, that's one of the first things that you have to decide. So, number one, what is my relationship with money? Luther described the conversion of the purse this way. He said the conversion of the purse is a shift from being a servant of money to being a servant of God. Luther would say that pretty much everybody prior to conversion, prior to giving themselves to Jesus, becoming a follower of Christ, pretty much everyone is a slave to money. And that only becoming then rather a servant or a son of God can set you free from that. So the question becomes, are, are you a servant of money? So just think about that for a second. You can answer in your own mind, are you a servant of money? The Bible talks about mammon. Are you a servant of mammon? The Bible actually goes so far as to say you cannot serve God and mammon. So as you're thinking about, am I a servant of money? Let me throw this quote at you from Gary Hogue. He wrote a book called The Sower, and he says, If you would not be willing to let go of everything you have to follow God, you're a slave to mammon. If you would not give away everything you have to follow God, then you're a servant or a slave to what you have. Well, Tom, that's kind of extreme, don't you think? Uh, Again. I'm not making this stuff up. You read the story. It was right there. Jesus said, give everything you have. Come and follow me. And you would think, uh, he only said that to him. It was just him. It was just one guy. He didn't say it to anybody else. It was just him, right? No, he pretty much said it to everybody. He said it to the disciples. The only difference between the disciples and the rich young ruler is that the disciples did it. Dave Canastrasi wrote a book. In his book, he tells the story of Jesus meeting the disciples on the beach. And Jesus walks up to the disciples and he says, come and follow me. And they are there. They're cleaning their nets. They are fishermen. Everything they have is right there. Boat, net, dad. And guess what they did? They dropped the nets. They left the boat. They left their dad. They followed him. Everything. Everything they had, they walked away from to follow Jesus. Canastrasi says, the sound of the disciples dropping their nets on the beach was barely heard in Capernaum. But it thundered. In heaven. It thundered. In heaven. We tend to judge or look down. On this rich young ruler. Because we're like. oh, You ask the question. You ask Jesus. What do I have to do? And then he tells you. And you won't do it. Can you imagine anyone. Being told by Jesus. To do something and not doing it. I I can imagine that. I think it's probably happened to me 12 times this week. Obedience is easy to talk about. 
But when it comes to increase, the thing that we have to increase in the most, if we want to increase in every other area of our life, is obedience. I can remember one time. I probably shouldn't even tell you all this. Nobody's going to come to me for prayer today. Um, I was in my 20s. I was in my 20s. I was in a worship service at, at, at the church that I worked at at the time. Um, and it was a Sunday night. And there was a person on the left side of the room. I was sitting on the right side of the room. There was a person on the left side of the room that I knew was going through some stuff and needed prayer. And I, and I just said to the Lord, if you, know, if you want me to pray for them, just let them go to the altar during ministry time and I'll go and pray for them. And so we finish the service, and the invitation is given, and there they go. And I said, well, Lord, okay, they're, they're up there, and they're praying, and I don't want to bother them. And so if you really want me to pray for them, then when they leave the altar, just instead of going back to their seat on the left, just let them come over here where I am on the right. And, and, and I'm sitting on, on, you know, on the outside aisle. Just let them walk past me on the right, and I'll stop them. And pray for them. And sure enough, here they come. They get up from prayer, and instead of going back to their seat on the left, they come down the aisle on the right, right towards me. And, and I'm, okay, Lord, here we go. Okay, Lord, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. There she goes. There she goes. There she goes. And so I, I didn't. I didn't even swing and miss. I just didn't swing. And sometimes that happens, you know. Or, Obedience, we have an opportunity to obey, we have an opportunity to step out, and we don't. Uh, we look, it's easy to look at uh, somebody like the rich young ruler and say, uh, you know, the reason that he walked away, the reason that he wasn't willing to give uh, everything he had is because he had so much. And, and here's the truth that we, you and I need to come to grips with, is that we have, we have a lot. We have a lot, and, and most of us are in our lives pursuing more. We have a lot, uh, and we don't feel like we quite have enough. I think it was Rockefeller who said, how much, he was asked, how much money do you need? And he said, one more dollar. Just one more. Just one more than I have. And, and so we're trying, we're gathering, and we're accumulating, and we need to understand the more we have, the harder it is to give it all away. The more you have, the harder it is. And that's why this rich young ruler had such a hard time. Maybe that's why the disciples didn't have as hard a time. Maybe they didn't have a lot. They just dropped their nets and walked away from their boat. And they followed Jesus. But in the end, who had the most? In the end, who had the most? The disciples had more in the end than the rich young ruler because they had eternity. They had it all. What is my relationship to money? When it comes to money, the only way to be free from its control is to be able to let go of it. Fear, greed, love of stuff are things that keep us from truly surrendering to God.
Uh, Y'all probably know the story of the little boy with the marbles. It's one of my favorite stories. Little boy has a sack of marbles. They're his favorites. It's his favorite prized possession. It's his treasure. He's he's got them in a little bag in his pocket. And uh, he's walking down the street, and he sees a girl coming towards him, and she has a sack of candy. And it just happens to be his favorite candy. And he's watching her eat this candy, and the closer she gets to him, the more he wants the candy. He wants what she has. He wants what he doesn't have. And when they get to each other, he says to her, I would love that candy. And she says, what will you give me for it? And he said, I'll give you my marbles. And he pulls out his prized possession of marbles, and he shows it to her. And she says, okay, I'll make that trade. And while she's not looking in the midst of this trade, he slips out his favorite crystal blue marble, slides it in his pocket, gives her the rest. She hands him the sack of candy. She walks off happy with her marbles, and he walks off happy with the candy. And he's eating the candy, and he's eating the candy, and he's eating the candy. And when he finishes the candy, he slides his hand in his pocket, and he fingers this marble, his favorite crystal blue marble, and this thought runs through his head. I wonder if she gave me all of the candy. The thing that you hold back, the thing that you hold back will be the thing that keeps you from truly understanding and embracing the fullness of God. Because it's not that God doesn't want you to have money or stuff. He just doesn't want money and stuff to have you. So what is my relationship to money? Number two, what is my goal? When it comes to giving, what's my goal? I would say your first goal is obedience. Your second goal is radical generosity. But your your ultimate goal is is freedom. You want to be free. There's a passage in Exodus 36. Let me throw this up on the screen. Exodus 36 Verses 2 through 5. Check this out. Moses summoned Bezalel and Oheliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. This is the place of of radical generosity. What we want for you is freedom. What we want for you is that you would get to a place where money doesn't own you, but you own it. 
Actually, you steward it uh, because God owns it. But that you wouldn't be a slave to anything. We we look for the day when I have to stand up here and say, okay, wait a minute, uh, y'all need to stop giving so much because we can't figure out what to do with it all. That's that's the way that God wants his, his church to operate is in abundance. Now, the way that we get there is through obedience. Key word in this whole in that passage we just read was that the people were bringing free will offering. If I could get you to give through coercion or manipulation or making you feel guilty or maybe crying, guess who would benefit from that? No one. No one. Because what we want when it comes to giving is obedience. Because what we really want is freedom. Because we believe that God takes care of our needs anyway. We believe that when we pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread, he's able to do that. But we also believe that God wants to bring increase in our lives. And one of the things that keeps us from increasing in the things of God is an unhealthy attachment to other things. I believe that God wants every person and family in this church to be financially healthy. I do. I believe that God wants every person in this church to be financially healthy. I can promise you this. You will not get to a place of financial health unless you give. Unless you give obediently. Not obediently to me. But unless you give what God tells you to give. You'll never be financially healthy. It's just a principle. It's a scriptural principle. It's part of obedience. And so, again, as we have said so many times before, when it comes to giving, here's what we want you to do. Pray. As a family, sit down together, pray, and ask the Lord, what do you want us to do? And then do what he says. Which brings me to my third and final point. What do I do? What can I do today? Rick Warren says in The Purpose Driven Life, money has the greatest potential to replace God in your life. More people are sidetracked from serving by materialism than anything else. They say, after I achieve my financial goals, I will serve God. He goes on and says, that is a foolish decision they will regret for eternity. When Jesus is your master, money serves you. But if money is your master, you become its slave. So what can I do today? The good news for us is that none of us have to arrive at our destination today. Every journey, every trip that you have ever gone on started with what? One step. What if you looked at a trip that you wanted to take and because it seemed long, you just said, oh, well, never mind. Well, I can promise you right now that if you make that decision, if you decide where you're going to go like that, you're going to miss 
some really fun places. Because I've been on some long trips. First time I ever got on an airplane in my life, I flew from Atlanta to Hawaii. Now, I discovered something. I discovered travel. I also discovered jet lag that I knew nothing about. But I, I discovered Hawaii, of all things. So journeys are incredibly exciting, incredibly life-giving, but they all have to start somewhere. And so for you, the question today is, where am I? Where do I want to be? How do I get there? Some of you, you've never given. That's okay, as long as it changes. Where are you going to start? You're going to start right where you are, and you're going to take a step. Some of you have given the same. Forever, for your whole life. And maybe God is saying to you, it's it's time for you to take another step. So the question is not, can I finish the race today? The question is, are you willing to take a step? Because when it comes to increasing in giving, the important thing is, am I willing to go a little bit further? Am I willing to to take a, a little bit deeper step? Or, honestly, now this is kind of a radical thing to to say and think, but it is true. Some of you may, it could be that obedience means giving less. Have you ever thought about that? If you've just given blindly without thought or prayer, it could be that if you went to the Lord and said, God, how do you want me to give? And he gave you a number, it might actually be less than the number you've been doing. Obedience doesn't always mean more. Or sometimes obedience means I want to give you, I want you to give differently. The good news is that you don't have to make the entire journey today. You just need to take a step. And you need to choose today not to let shame keep you from stepping. Don't let fear keep you from starting. Some people don't start the journey because they're afraid. Some people don't stop the, start the journey because they're ashamed. If you're sitting and you're thinking in your mind, I should have finished this journey already. I've been a Christian for so many years. This shouldn't be a new thing. I should be so much further down the road than I am. Well, maybe so. You can repent of that, but don't Be ashamed of that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take a step. Don't let shame keep you from starting. Don't let fear keep you from stepping. God wants to bring increase. And in the midst of this decision making, as you choose to go forward and to intentionally increase, ask God to do in you what you can't do yourself if this look if it looks scary to you if 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 you carry in you that fear that says if i give i might not have enough ask god to break that from you and ask god to to help you to do what you can't do the bible says that he has put his spirit in us to do for us, to do in us, and to do through us the things that we can't do on our own. Okay? All right. 
Uh, we're going to continue uh, our worship by receiving communion. I want to ask our teams to come and get in place. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I want to remind you that it is the Lord's table. It's not a Riverstone table. The Lord desires to meet you at his table. As you come today, I pray that you will come expecting. That you will come expecting to receive from him that you will come expecting to hear from him. If there are things in your life that you recognize, you know, this, Tom, this, you know, know, money money has power over me. I'm I'm afraid all the time of not having enough. If, If those are things that run through your mind, then come to the table of the Lord today believing that he could break those chains off of you and release you into a place of freedom. into a place of victory and into a place of increase. He wants to do that for you. He wants to do that in you. Uh, Maybe you're in a place today where you just, everything is great, everything is wonderful. You just want to hear from the Lord. God, what do you want new and exciting for me in 2019? And I encourage you, if if that's you, come to the table of the Lord today believing that he will give you a word. Uh, As you come to his table and as you receive Uh, the bread and the juice, Uh, believe that the Lord will speak into your heart. Uh, It it could be shocking or it could just be confirming something you already knew. But I I believe the Lord wants to give direction for you for this year at his table. Let's stand together. I want to pray and then uh, you'll be directed to come. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we love the way that you move and the way that you work, and we invite you to come and to have your way here at your table. Jesus, thank you that that you've told us, uh, whenever we do this, to remember you. And so we choose today to focus on you and to remember your cross, your shed blood, your buried body, and then the empty tomb, and our risen Christ. And so I pray as we come today that we would come believing that you make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Two men were sitting on the front porch. One of them said to the other one, if you had a million dollars, would you give me half of it? His friend said, you know, we're best friends. We've been best friends our whole life. If I had a million dollars, you know I'd give you half of it. He said, well, if you had two cars, would you give me one of them? He said, you know, we've been best friends. Our whole lives we've been best friends. You know if I had two cars, I'd give you one of them. He said, well, let me ask you one more question. If you had two hogs, would you give me one of them? The man said, you know I have two hogs. The truth of the matter is, there's probably, I don't know, not many in this room who will ever be asked by Jesus, hey, I want you to sell everything you have, 
give the money away and come and follow me. There's a, there's a sense in which that's true. If that's, if that's making you nervous today. But here's the thing. If he did, wouldn't you be crazy not to do it? I mean, if Jesus said, give everything away and sell everything, give the money to the poor and come and go with me, wouldn't you be crazy not to do it? Yeah, you would be. And so in a sense, you may not be asked that, but then in another sense, you've already been asked that. You've already been asked, what what am I worth? Would you be willing to put all of your hope in me? That's what he's asking. Would you be willing to put all of your hope in me? And from now on, go where I say go. Do what I say do. And be who I have called you to be. That's the beginning of increase. Jesus, I pray as we leave here today uh, that we would not be afraid. We would be eyes wide open and hearts wide open to all that you have for us. I pray that even today you would show us just the radical blessing that comes from saying yes to you. That more and more every day we would realize there is no price too high for following you. In Jesus' name, amen.